Yeah, so you can take those Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 25 through 33 today. <clears throat> Working on bringing this uh, husbands and wives portion of the Gospel Family series uh, towards a uh, towards a close. And uh, still so exciting, still so good, good for me to be studying and uh, if you want to stand with me, we'll read this together. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, for each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, just as this is uh, really week 12 of this gospel-centered family series, I know the potential is for many to say, let's move on to another subject, let's move on to another book of scripture, and Lord, just believing this is where you have us, God, is there is such a, a disastrous fragmentation of marriage and family in, uh, in our church and in our culture, a divorce rate of 50% needs some care, Lord. And so we just pray that as we, we see the true design and hope and purpose of marriage, that you would conform husbands and wives, Lord, that you would conform mothers and fathers who are raising up future husbands and wives, and, and those of us that are making disciples and encouraging husbands and wives and families. Lord, we need to be equipped for the task that really comes across our plate every day in so many ways. So let it be by your spirit today and by the power of your word that you conform us into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Several years ago, a young woman was attacked by a grizzly bear in the back country of the Rocky Mountains. Her male partner immediately hurled herself, uh, himself at the Bruin, yanked vigorously at his grizzled mane, and uh, took the wrath of the grizzly bear upon himself. He sacrificed himself uh, for his uh, spouse, and uh, she got away unharmed while he was killed by the animal. And, and uh, many of us have heard different stories, whether it's through wildlife or the battle of warfare where men and women have laid down their lives for friends and, and yet even 
Uh, there is a love and there is a sacrifice that can go even deeper than that, where the sacrifice ends at a moment of death, where the love, for instance, of a Christian husband ought to be characterized by such a great sacrifice, more than a life given in death, it would be a life given in life. Where a loving husband would lay down his own life and take up his wife's. He will view his life as less dear than that of his wife on a daily basis. He will live her life as though it was her own, giving his life in life for her. It's sacrificial love. It's considering someone else's needs above your own. Uh, last week in the park, we looked at two things that make such a sacrificial life even greater than, than what the society would consider normal. And we see it exemplified and personified in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When we look at Jesus' sacrifice for his bride, the church, we see an enormous value in that because we look at the infinite value of the one who made it. We have the Son of God laying down his life, being put to death. <laughs> Excuse me. Someone thinks I have walking pneumonia. Should have prefaced this, but, uh, or laying down pneumonia. Either way. Um, but he was, he was fully God, fully man, laying down his life for his bride. That is an infinite value of sacrifice. And when you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' death and you look at the nature of Jesus' sufferings, you see that that excruciating death that he endured for his bride, all Christians everywhere, was really the example of love. And so as we come to Ephesians chapter 5, and Paul says, Husbands, to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. We're looking at Jesus of infinite value and a just crazy nature of sufferings, and we have that in front of us as our example. And so we're told by Paul, husbands, lay down your life by picking up hers. For some that are in my age group with a young family, this might mean something like, hey, the kids are crying at night. Who gets up to go comfort that baby? And there's that awkward silence where you're both laying there like, maybe if I pretend to still be asleep, <laughs> she'll be on her way. Let's move along and get this thing going, huh? Or you've got two vehicles. One is nicer, a little more comfortable. It's got the heated seats and the AC unit that works. Who gets to drive it? Well, of course, I bring home the bacon, right? Do we hang out with friends tonight, the extrovert? Or do we stay at home and have a nice, quiet evening, the introvert's hope? Do we clean the dishes? Who does it? Well, I did it at lunch, so really it's kind of your turn. And, you know, uh, what? we lay down our lives for one another. We esteem her needs as better than our own. And in that, we've got to keep Colossians chapter 3, verse 19 in mind that says, Husbands, love your wives. We got that, Rory. 
Ah, but Paul goes a little bit further with, and do not be bitter towards them. You know, there's a lot in marriage that can cause just a little bit of a root of bitterness to grow up against our wives. Day to day, we confront that. I, I've, I oftentimes share my weekly testimony of marriage, you know, and Lindsay and I were joking down in my office the other day because she's like, well, what's it going to be this week? And I'm like, I don't know. Should we make something happen, you know? And um, <laughs> praise the Lord, this week was, uh, yeah, by grace, a pretty good one. But it's amazing how just in a moment, all of a sudden, you are so bitter, you can barely look at her, you can barely talk talk to her. Things are great, marriage is good, but boom, and I I just don't even want to be in the same room. Love your wives, husbands, and no matter what, don't be bitter at her. One of our great resources in this series, Tim Savage, in the book No Ordinary Marriage, taking a gospel-centered view of the home life, he says there's not the slightest hint of bitterness in true love. Husbands, love your wives, and his translation says, and do not be harsh with them. Instruct, instructs the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossians, harshness, bitterness, criticism, each of these dims the radiance of a wife. But love patterned after Christ, a love that adopts the wife's life as though it were his own and makes whatever sacrifices are necessary to promote her best interests will cause the marital union to explode with its chief end, that is the glory of God. So marital love is like death. It wants all of you. It demands all of you. It lays a claim to all that you are. Oh, it was a brutal night last night. (laughs) Had a wonderful day helping the Hibs move. I don't know how much help I was, but uh, I was more the comedic relief, you know, (laughs) tripping over the tailgates of trailers and things like that. And then uh, our hot water heater went out, which was awesome. And uh, so... Go to Home Depot last night. I'm going to buy a hot water heater. And my father-in-law's like, just try to replace the elements. It's easy. Anyone can do it. So Nate Wales comes over, and there's two heating elements, and it's already like 9 o'clock at night. And, and we start turning the top one. And, and then Nate gets in there. He's like, you know. And I'm like, and it won't move. We go to get different tools. I don't know. Spend like an hour and a half on one. Uh, wires aren't going where they're supposed to go. He electrocutes himself. No, uh, <laughs> just not moving. Spent the whole day trying to drain the darn thing. And, and uh, finally, we're like, oh, let's just try the bottom element. Hey, if we get that one going, at least we'll get some hot water. Okay, sweet. I'm like, oh, if there's any water in the tank, there'll just be a little, a little trickle, you know, and I'll, and I'll just tighten it back up. And I mean, I'm like, oh, hey, this one. <laughs> Oh, and this is literally one foot from brand on the other side of just the the wall. Brand new carpet we've just laid. Brand new laminate flooring, which does so well in water. (laughs) Nate, help! You know, I'm it won't screw back in. Hands me the new one. Oh, the gasket! We got to put a gasket on it. Oh, oh, and I'm just like, Lord, Lord, and ah. 
towels everywhere, sopping it up, trying to get the laminate floor dry. Oh, nightmare. Uh, so we rewire it in the water, you know. <laughs> no, we dry it out pretty good, and like an hour later, turn the breaker on. All right, things are good, and go to bed, wake up to not hot water. <laughs> oh, but yesterday as we're determining that there's a hot water issue problem, um, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to go help the hips move, and we got this going on, and and I come up, and I'm turning on the sink, and Lindsay just had coffee with Jess. She's in just a delightful mood, and just playing with the babies, and, and I'm like, yeah, so I don't know what to do about it. The, the hot water heater is not, it's not working. Oh, it's just so I said I don't know what to do about it. The hot water heater is not, you know. What is wrong with you? I'm just trying to tell you the hot water heater is not moving, working. Well, I don't know why you gotta be so snippy about it. Well, <laughs> do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. So, we really don't have a testimony this week of anything. But marital love is like death in that it wants all of you all the time. Hot water heater, just, just that one moment of trying to communicate that it's still not working. we got to determine whether we're going to replace elements or buy a new one or, you know, someone in the church that's really gifted with hot water heater is just going to come over and do it for us. Okay. One moment of just doing it on your own is just going to be hell. And we've, and we've been learning that every week in this series. Like, we cannot... Make it on our own. Because marriage, sacrificial love, as portrayed by Jesus on the cross, it wasn't a partial death on the cross. It was all out excruciating. So this may mean in everything that we do, death to self, elevation for her. It might mean saying no to a promotion or a dream job opportunity because it will not be the best for her saying no to a new recreational hobby or activity saying no to the expanded cable package or espn saying no to the internet saying no or yes or no to a dog one preacher said as i've learned love of self dies hard Though you drive a stake into the heart of self and a glorious sacrifice, it keeps coming back for more. Do we love our wives like this? Just when we think we've pressed ourselves to the very end and, and we're about to say enough is enough. Remember the model of Jesus. He, he never said that. He went all the way we got to remember the greatest romance and the greatest of all lovers, the enormity of the value of his sacrifice, the value of his person, and the nature of his suffering. Last week, we looked at two out of four faucets of this great husband-like love, that it was self-giving. And actually, we didn't get to the second one because I had to jump off the stage, jump in a car, and run to John Day. So we'll get to it today then. 
Isn't that wonderful? Two for one. Just for you. It's an extra half hour, but you know, you're, you're good. No, I'm kidding. It won't be. Calm down. So the first one was self-giving. Secondly, you ready for this? This kind of love is exclusive. Exclusive. It is reserved only for her, men. And so when you look at the story of the gospel and Jesus Christ and his love for the church, Jesus had an object for his love. Look at verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love whom? Your wives. Just as Jesus Christ loved whom? I think you put an M at the end of whom sometimes. Whom? I don't know when you do that. When you want to sound fancy. Just as Jesus Christ loved who? The church and gave himself for her, right? So you have this word for, it's a teeny tiny word, but it's packed with big time significance. It brings the idea of substitution on behalf of somebody, for the sake of somebody, in the place of somebody, for the benefit of somebody. And who was that that we see at the end of the age? The church. And he goes on to say <clears throat> that he might sanctify, verse 26, got to zoom in a little bit here, and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So this was all for her. It was exclusive love for his bride. Now we know God loved the whole world that he gave his only son. So there's a love for the whole world. And yet at the same time, in the mystery of salvation, there also is an elect and a chosen people. And we'll know who that is when we're standing before the throne of God and the elect are there before the throne of God worshiping. But there is some exclusive love in the gospel. Can I just cough real quick? <coughs> okay. I spit it out. Don't worry. So verse 25. That might not be the... Aaron, dude, I thought you could handle that. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave them for her. In Matthew 121, the Christmas story, really, she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Or in John 10, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. A love like this evokes a response in kind, where the people of God return an all-encompassing love. We love him because he loved us and gave himself for us. And the same pattern and the same reciprocation happens in marriage and applies in marriage. When two people are walking in the spirit and have the gospel before them, the same pattern applies. When a husband demonstrates 
unwavering, exclusive faithfulness. Thanks, brother. Now, that's a good friend right there. And so, this exclusive love calls husbands to guard their fidelity, like zealously, to guard faithfulness at all costs. They must admit no rivals to their love, and a wife should know herself to be the sole recipient of her husband's romantic affection. The one that he vowed at the altar, a husband must forsake all others as long as they both shall live. This exclusive love calls husbands towards purity, call husbands towards single-mindedness regarding women and emotions and desires and passions. Artaxerxes said, practical attention to a wife extends to everything. It should manifest itself in the most delicate attention to her and comfort in her feelings in consulting her tastes, concealing her failings, doing nothing to degrade her, but everything to exalt her. In acknowledging her excellencies, commending her efforts to please, meeting and anticipating all of her reasonable requests. I like that he put reasonable in there. In short, <clears throat> in doing all that ingenuity can invent for her substantial happiness and general comfort. Husbands consider their wives exclusively pouring special effort into her greater good. You know, this means practical change within our lives, men. You know, we're working through right now, just in our home and, and within some relationships, because we're working towards discipleship and ministry, and we've watched so many friends of ours and pastors fall into affairs and sins that we're just starting to text uh, one another, and if, if it's a, a woman to another man, then we throw the, the husband in that text as well, or we throw our wives into that text, so that there's just always great blamelessness, and that there never needs to be any doubt or wonder. And so we just, you know, we just have these policies in our church that we just don't ever meet alone with other women, we don't ever drive alone with other women, we don't have these deep, intimate relationships with other women on a one-on-one -on -one because we just know that the, there might be some just totally purity there. But we know that so often it can lead to um, infidelity. And so we're just, we call this body to, let's just be above and beyond, just pure and blameless in the way that we approach one another. Because the husband's love for his wife is exclusively for her. I mean, we're just not, in, we're not ignorant of the enemy's vices, amen? I mean, I'm, I'm just a man, all right? You're just men. We know where so quickly we could go. It might even just be one day. Things can change. 
And we know that the Lord is doing a great work in our church and making disciples and taking the gospel to unreached people groups in the Himalayas. And he would love nothing more than to just bring this thing down in a firing, smoldering ash heap. And so we're just looking for ways that we can just, let's just, as much as we can just take precautionary measures to be safe, let's do that. Let's do that. We want to, we, you know, we love, I, I love so many women in this room. I love all the, I know, some of you I don't really love. No, I love all the, I love you all the same. Okay? Especially the one back there. But, yeah, so I love all of you, but I love her in a particularly exclusive way. I never want there to be, you know, even accidentally, a bleeding of those lines. Amen? No. Okay, well. So husbands love your wives. Verse 25. Verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives. Verse 33. Let each one, one of you in particular so love his own wife. For some people, God does some things. For some people, God does all things. I love this story of Winston Churchill. I'm a history buff. Love World War II especially. Love old Winnie. Winnie, we're buddies. He died a long time before me. But the story is told of Winston Churchill attending a formal banquet in London. And these uh, in, uh, attending dignitaries were asked a question. If you could not be who you are, who would you most like to be? So almost everyone there was curious as to what Winston Churchill uh, said in his answer and, uh, and who his beloved wife next to him, Clementine, uh, great name, um, uh, Clemmy, he called her Clemmy, and so what, what she would say. But when it came around for Winston Churchill's turn to say who he would most like to be, if he couldn't be who he was, who would he most like to be? He said, if I could not be who I am, I would most like to be Lady Churchill's second husband. Right? You getting that? I just want to be married to, to Clementine. All right. You can bet that old boy won some points that night. Because he has an exclusive love for his wife, even if her name's Clementine or Agnes or something like that. No offense to the Agneses out there. But do you hear the exclusivity, the particularity, the focus of his love? And do you husbands love your wives like this? Maybe not. And so it's, it's great because today he brings the word before us and he holds up the wonderful mirror of the scriptures and we look into it and we see ourselves and we see maybe the heart of an adulterer or maybe we see the heart of an unfaithful emotionally uh, you know, we're sharing emotionally in a way that should only be exclusively for our wives. Or we're looking with passionate, romantic, lustful, maybe even affections when, when really our attraction should be for our wife and her alone. And so we look into that mirror and we say, Lord, wash this off. Wash this off and cleanse this and change this and conform it to your word. I want to be like this. 
Because it's true and it's right. And anything else brings death. Savage says, a wandering eye can be a husband's greatest nemesis. And today, with erotic images bombarding the senses at every turn, it can be an overwhelming adversary. When flames of lust are ignited, when extramarital fantasies are entertained, when sexual purity is threatened, husbands must take a quick, aggressive, and even ruthless action to distance themselves from temptation. A casual glance can turn into a prolonged stare. No enticement overwhelms so quickly, damages the human soul so deeply, or undermines good marriages so irreparably. I remember when I was uh, in Corvallis and I went to lunch with Pastor Rob. We went to Kim Laws, which is a great Vietnamese food restaurant. And uh, we go in and we're sitting down and there's four seats and he's like, you know, where would you like to sit? You know, I'm like, oh, I'll just, I'll just sit here, you know, and I'm sitting and it was towards the window. And he goes, uh, oh, I know what you're doing. You want to see all the pretty ladies walk by, look at their short skirts, you know? And I go, no. I go, I follow Jesus. And Jesus says, my eyes need to be only for my wife. And he says, oh, there's nothing wrong with with looking, he says, it's on the outside. It's, it doesn't affect what's, what's going on in here. And I said, yeah, Jesus says that if, if I were to lust after a woman in my heart, I've already committed adultery with her. And so I like what Savage just said, that men need to be ruthless. I mean, we need to be the brave hearts. We need to be, you know, the, just the soldiers in killing things that are bringing sin into our life lest it kill us. We've got to wipe it out. We've got, to, we've got to see it from a mile away before it even comes and becomes a threat. And we just got to put an end to it. What is it that the Lord's showing you? Be ruthless. I like what Alistair Begg said. Kill the thought before it becomes an action. Kill the action before it becomes a habit. Kill the habit before it becomes a lifestyle. Kill the lifestyle before it kills you. Now for some, there are lifestyles of unfaithfulness towards your wife in this room. And you have got to kill it. Romans chapter 8 says, That if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit of God we put to death or mortify or execute the works of the flesh, we will live. And then it goes on to say, whoever's led by the Spirit in that way, these are the sons and daughters of God. If you're a believer, you're a child of God, one way that it's going to show that you really are is that the Holy Spirit will be leading you in how to execute sin. And it was John Owen that said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We've got to be ruthless, men. We've got to protect our families and protect our homes and cut off relationships and cut off those packages and and 
have the conversations with, with your wife and with your friends where you're, you're, you're just repenting. Of <laughs> hmm. Metallic. <laughs> okay, just kidding. Uh, you know, just Connie, you've got to be able to say something after a good hack, okay? We've got to be able to say, look, I mean, we've got to put up safeguards on our tablets and on our phones. And we've got to have our wives have passwords. Now, that's not, that's not the end. Before that comes a heart change where we realize these kinds of things are sinful and wrong and they're going to ruin our homes, ruin our witness, ruin our churches. And so I don't want that. So let's kill it before it even comes into our home. Let's knock it out. Let's, let's do everything we can and be vigilant to cut off the hand that causes us to sin and to gouge out the eye. Because these things do damages to our family, to our children. Damage that is irreparable. There's wonderful hope, though, in all of this. As we're here today, as I said, looking into the wonderful law of freedom, the wonderful word of God, that there's forgiveness where we failed. Forgiveness. The Psalms say, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've removed your sin from you. There's hope as he brings the Holy Spirit in afresh and the power of the third person of the Trinity moves us to obey and to say no and to be zealous in killing sin and obeying righteousness. There's wonderful hope there. It comes as we draw in fresh drafts of spiritual refreshment from the word of Christ. And we receive just each day just the fresh, wonderful refreshment that why would we ever want anything else out there when what he has to offer is so much better and there's so much life and that brings death and destruction and it has this little costume on that, that seems pleasurable for a moment, but then afterwards it's just, it's just death and destruction. No, I'm drinking, I'm seeing true love poured out even to the point of the death on the cross. I see life that comes from that, everlasting life, and I want that. Little homework for you, men especially, and men to your young sons. Read Proverbs chapter 5 with your boys. Read Proverbs chapter 5. Uh, I was out on the McKinnon baler two years ago, baling hay with my son. And it was time to have the old birds and the bees talk. So we were looking at meadowlarks and blue jays, and it was a great talk. And then we went home. No, I'm kidding. We really talked about the birds and the bees. Not real. Like, you know what I mean, right? Okay. Okay. And I read Proverbs chapter 5 to him, and I said, son, just so quickly, you're just where you shouldn't have been. And, and, and you'll fall. And the proverb says that like many strong men fall. Many strong men. Some of, some of my most just high mentors in my life that I've wanted to be and become have fallen in, in matters of sexual immorality. Some of the guys that I just, if I could just, I mean, I would just, I would just go move from here and go be on staff and just sit under this guy and just, 
minister and just learn from him. And, and he's not a pastor anymore. And, and people hate him for what he's done. And the wonderful news is, is that there's redemption happening even in that man's life. And we're just starting to get word back from him that he's walking in repentance and he's just submitting himself to, to friends and family to see what that looks like biblically. And there's life happening. And we're just encouraging. There is incredible hope even for future ministry because you can come and you can speak to us young men and say, watch out, guys. Watch out. Here's just ways that I wasn't wearing my armor that day, ways that I wasn't walking in the spirit. And it's just like David. One day I decided not to go out to battle and I went out on my door and I went out on the balcony and there was a woman bathing. And instead of like, oh, my bad, whoa, I said, oh, who is that? And what is her name? Bring her here. And we can learn from these. There's, there's redemption. Isn't that beautiful? That there's redemption. God has a plan even in our failures. He can take what the enemy meant for wickedness and he can use it for our good. I've got eight minutes and 39 seconds left. And I'm going to do it. We're going to go for it, guys. Not only is this type of love exclusive. Oh, Lindsay. I'm going to go on a date tomorrow with her. She doesn't know it yet. I just decided. Man, she's a fox. She is so beautiful, you guys. And her little lip has this thing in her nose. And oh, I'm just telling you. But you know, the wicked one, he so quickly is like, but what about her? Over there, huh? Or, or her over there? Oh, but man, but the wife of my youth is the same proverb says, let her satisfy me. Married at 20 years old. Known her my whole entire life, as long as I've been conscious and have a memory, I've known my wife. I love her. Men, exclusively invest in your wife. Text your wife. Call your wife during the day. Love your wife. Write a poem. Drop a note. Write a song. Make the bed. <laughs> Clean your underwear up that are sunny side up on the floor in the bathroom this morning contribute a little bit oh remember your first love it's to be exclusive the other thing that this love does is it beautifies it's beautifying it says in verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word so I don't know if you noticed, but he's not even talking about marriage right now. Remember, did you notice the little switch? As Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her, you know, and, and then it goes, it's just talking about Jesus now. It's not even talking about husbands. It's talking about the husband. And, and the husband beautifies, the husband, the husband beautifies the wife and washes the wife. And he uses the word to wash the wife. All throughout the New Testament, we see that there's a washing and a regeneration that happens in the life of a Christian. We know what we've done, and we need a bath. No, literally, I don't have a hot water heater. I need a bath, okay? <laughs> Cold water last night, no time for soap. Okay, anyways. <laughs> he washes and cleanses us. 
That's what Jesus does. He makes us new. We're not clean because of the works of righteousness that we have done, but by the washing that the Spirit of God does in so many different ways. The Bible says there's a washing in baptism. Christians, have you been baptized? There's a washing as we read the scriptures. There's a washing as we're born again at first, the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. There's a washing that takes place. Now, many Christians' <coughs> first interpretation is that this is husbands have to have a daily devotional life with their wives. That's what it says right here. Did you notice? Did you read it? Husbands, let's read it together. Have a daily devotional life with your wives. I saw it. You know you did. Mm-t. Because that's not what the, the first and plain meaning of the text is. It's talking about Jesus and he cleanses us by many different aspects. So husbands, we work in the same way in cleansing our wives. And the word of God is one way, but the only practical outworking of that isn't just make sure that every morning at 5 a.m. you're up with your wives, you're reading the Bible and our daily bread. Isn't there so much condemnation in that? Because that's not what the Bible says. Do you know how many times I've been like, oh my gosh, I'm totally going to hell. I haven't read the Bible to my wife at 5 a.m. and our daily bread in like six months, okay? That's not what we're called to. We're called to disciple our, our wives and our children. And of course that is by reading the scripture to them. But we're led by the Lord and how we're doing that in our homes. I'm a pastor. I read the word to my family all the time. A lot of times it's every day. And a lot of times it's not. I'm just a man. Now that doesn't negate if it was a command, my manliness disconnect or discontinues the command of God, but that's not the command of God. As husbands, we have a duty and an obligation to make sure our wives are in the word in, in ways that the Holy Spirit will be leading us how to do that. So husbands that just haphazardly make sure their wives aren't in church all summer long, maybe there's a danger there. Or husbands that haphazardly don't read the word to their wives or kids at all, there's a danger there. But don't be condemned under some sort of, don't you know, that, you know, every 5 a.m. you have to do it this way. Guys, we have the spirit of God in us. We want to be with him and we want to be in the word. So let the Lord work that out in you. Okay, husbands, we do have the call, even as dads from Deuteronomy chapter six, to all the time be teaching them the statutes of God. And so some people say, just make sure it's 5 a.m. How about breakfast, lunch, dinner in between while you're walking on the path, when you're putting your kids to bed, when they wake up in the middle of the night, all the time. Amen. All right. So wash your wife with the water of the word. That exclusive love, sacrificial love, is a purifying, has a purifying work in that spouse. 
Now, marriage is not primarily for our happiness. We've learned that over the last, how many weeks has it been? 11, okay? We've learned that in the last 11 weeks. It's not primarily for our happiness, but it's for our holiness that God might be glorified. Spurgeon said, or rather, this is, this is Tim Keller. Friendship is a deep oneness that develops as two people speaking the truth in love to each other, journey together to the same horizon. What does this mean? It means that any two Christians with nothing else but a common faith in Christ can have a robust friendship, helping each other on their journey toward the new creation, as well as doing ministry together in the world. How can they do that? They do it through spiritual transparency. Christian friends are not only to honestly confess their own sins to each other, but they're to lovingly point out their friend's sins if he or she is blind to them. I like what he says here. Keller says, you should give your Christian friends hunting licenses to confront you if you're failing to live in line with the commandments of Christ. Christian friends are to stir one another up, even provoking one another to get them off, if they're getting off dead center. This isn't to happen infrequently, but should happen at a very concrete level every day. Christian friends admit wrongs, offer or ask for forgiveness, and take steps to reconcile when one disappoints another. And so what God has done among friendships, he also wants to do within marriages. As Keller goes on to say, if any two unrelated Christians are to provoke one another toward love and goodness and are to affirm each other's gifts and hold each other accountable to grow out of their sins, how much more should a husband and wife do that? And so closing, worship team, come on up. That's putting my money where my mouth is that we're really done here. I want to look at Revelation, where we see this bride sanctified, set apart, holy, cleansed. She's been cleansed. And we see the end result of this cleansing in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So, in the New Testament, we see that we are the bride of Christ and that Jesus purifies his bride and, and husbands have that role to purify their bride as well by discipling their brides. But we see here in Revelation chapter 19, that day when the wedding is happening and she is made herself ready. And it was granted to her by 
someone sovereign outside of herself to be arrayed in clean, white, bright linens. And it told us right there, what is that clean, white, bright linen? It's the righteous, right acts of Christians. A couple chapters later in Revelation 21.9, it's like the end, you know, it's the end of the Bible. And we see the new city of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And John is witnessing it coming down. But you guys know that a city isn't the buildings per se and the highways and the byways and the economic structure and the government but really the city are the people who live in the city that's who we see in the book of revelation that the new jerusalem it's actually us and it's coming down and it does have measurements there are that aspect but he's referring to it as people and as it's coming (coughs) excuse me guys as it's coming down he says I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And so it says he, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, probably Mount Everest. And he sh- I'm teasing, but he showed me a great city, the holy Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And it says, having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone clear as crystal. That's what the Lord has done for us. If you are in Christ, man, all the ways that we failed and maybe even today where there's just strong, just the Lord points out where we were not faithful to our spouse. We can repent and we can come and we can receive forgiveness. Even today, you can be washed as white as snow. You can be made bright and clean and dressed in fine white linen. And you can be empowered to go out and live rightly. Let's stand together. Lord, I know in this room there are single people that have just been so patiently week 12 going through a marriage series. Some of them being prepared and equipped for future marriage. Some of them divorced and and there has been just, there's been just truth that that has laid conviction on hearts and and is bringing those people to repentance. There's, There's those here that maybe even single moms and single dads, but they have children that they're gonna be bringing up and preparing for marriage. And there are those who are widows in this room. There are those that have never been married and, and never will be married. That's just not a call that they have on their life. And, and yet, Lord, for all of us, we're called to speak these truths and teach these truths and disciple others so that marriages and homes can be a picture of you and just really have true health. And Lord, it's true for me that on a daily basis, an hourly basis, so quickly, I just, I just need to elevate myself for just a minute. Just, just for a minute, I just, I'm just going to need to just elevate myself. And just that minute turns into an hour or three or maybe a day of just 
strife and fighting and arguing. And Lord, for some, it's, it's just way worse than that even. They're home right now. They're just on the brink of divorce. And, and they're just wondering if they should call it quits. And, and so, Lord, right now, I just pray over husbands that, Lord, you would just speak the words from today into their heart. That there's hope and there's life. And that husbands would lead the charge in pursuing and initiating relationship with their wives. That they would love their wives with that self-giving, self-sacrificing love for the sake of his wife's greatest good in you, Lord. Let's sing this last song together.
This word holy, for some maybe you're new and you're like, what is this word anyways? It just means he's set apart, that God is set apart. He's in a class of his own. There's no one like him. He is pure and just and he has these attributes that no one else, like it, he, they're inherently his. And just the beautiful thing is, is that we come into his presence like we are right now, just we're just worshiping him and just in spirit, worshiping him in, in his glory and his beauty and his splendor. Man, even today, just revealing for some of us, just man, just kind of coming with dirty garments on. And, and we would even just say, man, I'm singing about you being holy and pure and spotless. And you're like a bright, shining light that there's no darkness at all in you. And, and then there's me and all that I've been doing and and haven't had an exclusive love towards my wife, and haven't been beautifying her, and, and just, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm like dirty, and the beautiful thing today is just by faith, that holiness that we sing of him can be put upon you, and you can be clean, just like you've never sinned before. Like, you know what you've done, and just imagine right now that that's gone, that the Lord just wouldn't even remember it. You know, when, uh, when Isaiah, he's, he's like given a vision of heaven and what we're singing about right now, and he sees God in his holiness, and he sees the angels around God worshiping God, he says, Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm a sinner. And the angel comes, and he takes a, a tong, and he grabs a coal off of the altar, and he comes, and he touches Isaiah's lips, and he says, you, your sins have been forgiven you. And we know from the Bible, the New Testament, that because of what Jesus has done, and now he, after dying and rising from the dead, now he's up on the throne, and the angels are worshiping. And right now where we're at, we can just hear him say today, don't worry. Don't walk in shame. Your sins are forgiven you. 
just where you're at right now, you can just receive that. Just, I receive that, Lord. I believe that. That's true. My sins are forgiven me. That'll change who we are, people. We as the bride of Christ. We're going to have to get used to that picture, dudes. That we're like a bride. And he's like the groom. And he loves us so much. He gave himself for us. He rescued us. And he's forgiven us and cleansed us and redeemed us. But we read today that that bride will not have any spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And so he wants to take us from this room today, just having a vision of who he is and what he's done. And just we just develop a life. We have a life now where we just keep that in front of us. We, just, we, we come to church. We pray. We, we sing songs about what he's done for us. We read the Bible. We receive teaching about what he's done for us. We become followers of Jesus. And, and the more we do that, just the more he begins to take all the old junk and just, just we see it just being purged out of our life. And we see more of his goodness and purity in us. To where on that day, as we saw the vision earlier, we'll be seen as the bride, the pure bride. I'm going to end with this quote by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, dare I put it like this? The beauty specialist will have put his final touch to the church. The massaging will have been so perfect that there will not be a single wrinkle left. She will look young and in the bloom of youth, with color in her cheeks, with her skin perfect, without any spots or wrinkles, and she will remain forever like that. And, and wives in this room, you remember that day when you went and got the dress and, you know, it just fit perfectly, you know. And that one day, everything was perfect. The makeup was perfect. The lighting was perfect. The flowers were perfect. You were holding them just perfect. And it seemed like that day would never end. And a couple short hours later, the next thing you know, your wedding dress is hanging in a closet, mothballs around it, you know. And you go and get it out, you know, and it's been 20 years, and you're like, hey, honey, come check this out. I found it, you know, and don't come in here. You don't, no, no, you know. And the crazy thing is, you know, you knew when you were 23 or 25 that, you know, when I'm 60, it's not going to fit the same. But what we're told in the scriptures is it's going to fit the same. We're going to be without wrinkle, without spot, just like a bride does on her wedding day. That's pretty exciting. Awesome. Awesome.